So the reading today is Psalm 150, and that's on page 634 of the Church Bibles. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, good evening. It's good to be with you. Please keep that passage open in front of you. I wonder if you've heard some people object. You know, uh, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Uh, I don't care what you say. This psalm is about praise, okay? It's a little bit like this, uh, this trade advert. I mean, there really is no room for misunderstanding there, is there? Uh, similarly, this Psalm 150 is a psalm about praise. I've actually um, preached the psalm before. And when I did, a pastor of the church I was at said to me afterwards, thank you. Uh, With all due respect, I wondered what there was to say. I mean, were you just going to tell us to praise the Lord again and again? If I did that this evening, I would not actually be far from, far wide of the mark. Because it is what the psalmist does. He tells us to praise the Lord again and again. And so let's just bow our heads and pray that our response would be in line with the psalm. Great and mighty God, please would you well us up with praise to you as we hear this psalm now. And we pray that we would be those who increase in our praises to you, Monday through Sunday, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I do wonder how you feel about being told to praise God. Slightly funny thing, isn't it? Because it might not sit that comfortably with us. It is probably worth recognizing right from the start that to be human is to be a praiser. She was great. He was brilliant. They were awesome. It's excellent. If we find something good, we love to say so. In fact, I don't know if you've found this, it's frustrating if you, if you hear some great music or watch a great film or just enjoy something, but you haven't got someone to share your enthusiasm with. Now, it is in our nature to praise. We just imagine a world without praise. Imagine the Six Nations. Wimbledon, a game, set, match, championship, 
Murray. But the centre court crowd are silent. Or, or, or Glastonbury, you know, it amps up to 11, you know. Music, musicians giving it their all. Uh, Coldplay, Rolling Stones, Beyonce. 100,000 people who stand there in silence. I mean, no way. Praise of what we find great is natural to us. So the question isn't, should we praise? It's, it's who or what should we praise and how should we praise it? And Psalm 150 urges us again and again and again to praise the Lord with everything we've got. And of course, that still doesn't mean that we want to do it. Maybe because if we're honest, we don't think that God is exciting enough to be praised as compared with some pop act or sporting victory or whatever. Others, though, might say, no, I don't want to praise the Lord because you don't know what's going on in my life. If, if you only knew the hassle it took to get to church this evening, you wouldn't be telling me to forget it all and praise God. If you only knew what's going on between me and my spouse, my mum at the moment, if you only knew the hits I'm taking at the moment, you wouldn't be so insensitive to tell me just to praise God. Perhaps some of us secretly think, if anything, God owes me. Let me say this. This call to praise God is not a call to deny our problems and our struggles. In the Psalms, there is plenty of lament as well as praise. And yet at the same time, praising God is always the place the psalmists want us to work towards. It's it's the end game. And in fact... I put it to you that in the thick of life's problems, the best thing for us is, in fact, to praise God. I know that's counterintuitive. Maybe it sounds a little insensitive. It is true. Would we just now allow this psalm, then, to teach us to praise God in the bad times as well as the good? And first up, we're told this. Praise the Lord everywhere. Take a look down with me, please. Verse 1. It begins, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Now, God's sanctuary refers to the one place on earth where back then God's people would gather to worship him. In the psalmist's day, this was the temple in Jerusalem. So he's saying, praise the Lord down here on earth in the temple. But then, uh, praise the Lord up there in heaven. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. So do we see down here, up there, praise God everywhere. The glory of God fills the universe. It is only right then that his praise fills the universe. And when you and I want that more than anything else in the whole world, then we're in a very healthy place. People often, if they're pressed, would say something like, we want peace on earth more than anything. Just an example. And for sure, to take that example, wars are a terrible reality in our world. But you know, the world's greatest problem is not that humans war against one another, but that humans war against God rather than praising him. 
And as it happens, you know, lasting peace among people will only grow where you have people united in adoring God. And so do you see the deepest cry of our hearts ought to be, may God be praised everywhere, just as it was for the psalmist. Now, back then, the place on earth where God's people gathered to worship him was the sanctuary, the temple. And you see, you couldn't, in fact, back then, praise God from anywhere on the planet. And that's because, despite what many people assume, we humans don't have a kind of natural access to God. We don't because we humans are deeply sinful. And God is blazingly holy. Why should he listen to rebellious people like you and I? But back when the psalm was written, the temple was one place on earth you could go to praise God because the temple was the place of sacrifice for human sin. Our sin, you see, does create a barrier between us and God, but in the temple, your sin was symbolically laid on an animal. And so, do we see, with the penalty of our sin removed, that barrier gone, you're now friends with God. And your prayers and praises get through. God loves to hear them. So the temple was one place on earth where you could go and God would welcome your praises. That was then. Where today is the place on earth where God can be praised? Is it a temple somewhere in the Middle East? Or perhaps the temple, the Old Testament, has been replaced with a church building. No, no, centuries after that temple in Jerusalem stood... A man walked the earth who described himself as greater than the temple. That whole temple system in the Old Testament was just a shadow of a reality found in Jesus Christ. What's more, Jesus is also described as the lamb because he died as a sacrifice for our sins. Now. Jesus is risen from the dead at the right hand of the Father. Now, Jesus is the place where you and I have access to God. In him, the barrier removed, the penalty of sin paid. In him then, God hears and loves our praises. So the place on earth where God is praised today is not some sacred building, which of course is something that our brothers and sisters at Goldstone Church would be relieved to hear, seeing as they meet in a primary school. No, there are no sacred buildings or sacred places today. No, we get through to God through trusting in a person, Jesus Christ. And do you see that if and when we are trusting in him, We can then praise God wherever we are, because wherever we are, we are in him. And so our praises reach his God and Father. So yes, we can praise God everywhere. And we should praise him everywhere. When the psalmist says, praise God in his sanctuary, people in Christ are to respond by praising God when we're miles overground in a plane, or miles underground in a tube, at school or at work or at the kitchen sink, praising 
God. Waking up in the morning, turning in for bed, everywhere, speaking or singing praises to God. Praise the Lord everywhere. Now, of course, our psalm especially has in mind God's people together praising God, as we already have been this evening. And the place on earth where God is praised by his gathered people is not any place where people claim to be praising God, but any place where people in Christ meet to praise him. Because Christ is the temple. That might be a church building. It might be a primary school. It could be anywhere. By the way, when that happens, well, the vast choirs of heaven are joining in. What a thought. That's the first call this psalm gives to us. Praise God everywhere. Now, of course, the question still remains why? Yeah, I mean, you can't just be, be told to, to praise God. Why should we? We need firm reasons, and that's especially true for those times when we're going through the mill and praising God is the last thing we feel like doing. Um, the psalmist says this to us next. Praise the Lord for his works and his worth. Take a look with me, please, at verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Now, clearly, verse 2 gives just the kind of headlines of why praise the Lord. And we might ask, why hasn't the psalmist given us a little bit more to go on? I think the reason is that this is Psalm 150. And throughout Psalms 1 to 149, God's, what does it say, acts of power and his surpassing greatness have been on display. And so you see, in fact, we have lots to go on. But then we ask, what do the Psalms say about that first half of the verse? God's acts of power. You know, they stress two in particular. Firstly, God's creation of the world. And then also God's salvation of his people. Acts don't come much more powerful than creating all things with a word. But that's what God did. He made the stars above us, the world around us, the seats under us. He made us. So then you and I ought often to praise God as the mighty creator God. But even bigger, we might say, than God's powerful act of creation is his powerful act of salvation. The nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt, but with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God redeemed them from slavery to safety to be his chosen people. But that rescue act for Israel, it's just a shadow of the mighty work God has done for his people in the Lord Jesus. What has God done for us? The New Testament tells us that God has delivered his people out of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These are no small things. What a mighty act God has performed for you and me if we're in Christ. Praise him. Now, of course, there are other 
less mighty acts that God does for us on a daily basis for which we ought to praise him. All that he provides us with. Improved health or a uni offer, a job appointment, an engagement, a new baby, and so on. All reasons to praise God. But do you know, all eclipsed by God's mighty acts, especially his act of salvation. And so then, you and I, if we're believers here this evening, ought to often pause and praise God as our mighty, saving God. There is a second half to that verse, though. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. And do we see that it's his acts of power that display his surpassing greatness? And they ought to lead us to gaze at our God in adoration. Now look, as a child, I love the presents at Christmas or birthday, but I found it such a chore to write the thank you letters. Not a great deal has changed. (laughs) But of course that's not right. I ought to gladly praise the givers for their gifts. But what we would tend not to do, or kind of cultivate amongst ourselves, is to is to gaze in adoration at those who gave us our Christmas presents. And yet, that is what we ought to do with God. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Do we see not just for what he's done, but for what he is like? The Psalms model this for us again and again and again. I invite you as you... I hope you read the Psalms for yourself. I hope you will read the Psalms for yourself if you don't. And just notice how often the psalmists just adore God. We've done it tonight. Psalm 103. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. I think you'll find doing that, just stopping, praising him for who he is, a great experience. Especially by the way, if you do it with other believers. Notice then, from what we've seen so far, that praise of God should be happening even if we're with non-Christians. Now, yes, we're in the real world. You and I face serious pressure to keep quiet about Jesus. But we also know that Jesus is the most impressive, extraordinary person who walked the earth. We know his mighty acts and his surpassing greatness. If you know that he has made you and saved you, you won't be able to help but praise him wherever you are, whoever you're with. It's also worth just pausing here and seeing why we can praise God no matter what we're going through. Praise of God can coexist with pressure, with fear and anxieties, with illness and bereavement. Because what God has done for us in Jesus is always real, even amidst those things. What it shows us about him is that he is always surpassingly great, even when we particularly struggle to, to kind of see that. But of course, 
when we're in those situations, it just might take us a bit more work than normal to get to that place where we're praising God, of course. Now, moving on. If a great sporting or musical performance is is worthy of, of, of great praise, what praise is God worthy of for his performance? Well, next up, the psalmist says to us, praise the Lord with everything. Please take a look at verse 3. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. I'm, I'm glad we had a drummer here tonight. The psalmist obviously got a thing about cymbals. When I was at university, um, one of my housemates was a DJ. And uh, there were times when he was practicing. He wouldn't normally wear his, his, his headphones. And, and the sound, I was in the room next to him. I mean, you can imagine all the different things I tried to try and block it out. It poured into my room. Uh, there's lots of things that I could say about that right now. Um, but one thing in particular is that it was inescapable. And that's the praise of God that the psalmist wants of us. Just see what he says there. This is about being wrapped up in praise. Wanting to wrap up others in it. Making a noise that spills out to anyone who's around. It looks like, doesn't it, a, a great national occasion. And a joyous celebration and everyday music making all wrapped up into one that knocks the socks off any pride march or whatever it might be. There's every type of instrument, isn't there? Wind and strings and percussion called to perform its distinctive parts. Of course, those were the instruments they had back then. Today, praising with guitars and drums and saxophones and record decks. And organs. It's all about making a great big noise. A great big sound that helps us express our happiness in God. It's a big sound that involves our whole being. Did you notice in verse 4, we're even encouraged to dance in praise. And I wonder what we would think if people did that in a Sunday service. Well, I hope now we would be utterly delighted. After uh, Bolt took one more of his golds in the 100 meters, the commentator shouted, listen to the noise in Rio de Janeiro. Listen to the adulation. Because they were shouting, cheering, waving, and yes, dancing in the stands. And that's the picture in this psalm. That's the picture of a healthy people of God. It's more like a Disneyland parade, isn't it? The most Sunday church services that I've been a part of. And looking around at faces in some church services, you could be forgiven for thinking we were at God's funeral. No, we serve a risen, living Saviour. I read of a man who came to Christ from a non-religious background, so he, you know, he didn't kind of know the Christian jargon and the Christian ways and that kind of stuff. He was American. When he was baptized, he came up out of the water, clapping his hands for joy, shouting, hot dog, hot 
dog, hot dog, an Americanism, I'm not quite sure, but he was excited about God. And at this point, you might be saying, now, wait a minute, that's not my personality. I'm a quiet and reserved kind of person. Let me ask you what you're like when someone you love announces their engagement. What do you like when you're cheering on your rugby team? Or when you get a great job offer? What do you like when you get some great news? You see, we all have things that make us excited. It's a natural response to what we find to be great. And what is greater than our God and his mighty acts of power? And Think on this. If worship was sometimes this exuberant in the Old Testament times, before the coming of Jesus... What should our response be now that he has come? And we see his mightiest deed, the cross. And we see his excellent greatness much more clearly. Well, we should often find ourselves wrapped up in God, so much so that we cannot help but praise him aloud and publicly. So far as I can see, the only people who won't praise him with everything or who want other people to dampen down their praise of God are those who either don't know him or at least are not currently grasping how wonderful he is. The psalmist won't have it. Praise the Lord with everything. So, praise the Lord everywhere. Praise the Lord for his works and his worth. There is content there. We need to fix our minds on truth, the truth of God, of what he's done, what he's like. When we do, we will praise the Lord more and more with everything. But now finally, who? Who should praise the Lord? And the psalmist says to us, praise the Lord, everything. Look at verse 6 with me. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and why not? Because only such a total universe-wide choir can come anywhere near reflecting the greatness of the Lord. Now, I don't suppose that the writer expects that everything will praise the Lord, not this side of heaven anyway. And I suppose he knows that not everything can praise the Lord. When me and my siblings, two brothers and a sister, left home, our our parents replaced us with a dog, um, a dog called Ruby. Ruby was named after a jockey. My mum's into horse racing, a jockey called Ruby Walsh. And whilst Ruby, the small Northern Irish man, can and should praise God, Ruby the dog won't be any time soon. But I don't think that's the point of our psalmist in verse 6. The point is that someone who is wrapped up in the greatness of God naturally wants everything and everyone to praise him. So now what are we to make of the masses of people who do not praise the God of Jesus Christ, including those masses that we know personally. 
Well, do you know, this is a major reason why Christians share the good news about Jesus with non-Christians. Because every person on the planet ought to praise God. He gives us all everything we enjoy, and he gives us the offer of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Everyone owes God everything. He owes us not a thing. No one can repay him. Everyone can and should praise him. And so, in fact, someone who does not praise God mocks God. No, not usually openly, but for someone to live as if God isn't there or just to pray to him just when they're in need, do you see, that attitude mocks God. In our world, it's normal, but it is not okay. And do you know, again, like I say, a major reason why people who love God share the good news of Jesus, even though it's hard, because people who love God hate seeing God mocked. And so they speak of Jesus. So that people around them would turn from being mockers to being praisers of the great God of all. Evangelism happens because worship of God doesn't. That's Psalm 150. Um, Let me just flag up something important before we land. The book of Psalms has actually five sections to it. The first ends with Psalm 41 and with the words, Amen and Amen. Second section ends at Psalm 72 with the words, Amen and Amen. Then there's 73 to 89 where the final words are, you guessed it, Amen and Amen. Psalm 106 rounds off the fourth section with the words, let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. But then here's the last section, rounded off by Psalm 150. So what is missing? Take a look. There's no Amen here, is there? In other words, there's no full stop. You see, the psalm doesn't just give us a picture of what the universe should be like. It's also a picture of what the universe one day will be like forever. One day Jesus will return and will right every wrong. And in the new creation, there will be the joy of never ending. No amening, no full stopping praise of God's name. And yet, and as we wrap up, Psalm 150 is given to us now so that God's people might be an outpost of heaven today. Where does this leave us then? Yes, concerned for those who don't praise God, but firstly, concerned for us, us, to be praisers of God ourselves. If you're never full of praise to God for his acts of power and surpassing greatness it is likely that you haven't yet experienced his salvation. Let me please encourage you to talk to a Christian about that. But people who are saved know themselves how easy it is to get distracted from this praise of God. At a previous church, we spent 18 months debating seating. We decided in the end to move from pews to chairs. That was fine. But I wonder in that time how many words were exchanged amongst us about the powerful acts and surpassing greatness of our God. 
as compared with the amount of words spoken about the color of cushions. I am scandalously slow to praise the Lord. I whinge, I complain, I stress, I ask God for lots of things, I thank him for some things. I'm scandalously slow, though, to stop and adore and praise my great God. Friends, let us make sure we put the first things first together. We need to commit to the discipline of punctuating our days, our weeks with praise of God, whether or not we feel like it. We need to get in the habit of it again and again, pausing, pondering the person and work of Jesus Christ, which will stir us up to praise him. But habits don't come easily. So let me just ask you, what will you change? What will you start? What will you stop? How will you ensure that you punctuate your day with praise of the Lord for his mighty acts of power and his surpassing greatness? He really is worth it. That is a Psalm 150 in a nutshell. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me invite the musicians up. And as they come up, let me invite us all to stand up. Please take to your feet. And let's cry out together. With, sorry, with a Bible in hand, if you could. Let's say together, just verse 6, and then we'll move into a time of sung praise to our great God. Together then, just verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord.